DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. Hello, this is Donald Thompson. Welcome to High Octane Leadership in an Empathetic World. And I'm really excited today. We have a lot to celebrate. June is Pride Month. And we also want to look at some topics that are a little bit tough often to discuss, but are really, really important in today's landscape relative to the LGBTQ community, relative to how do we process information, and really how do you have discussions where people may have varying points of view, but how do you have those discussions in a thoughtful and empathetic, uh, but yet a powerful way? And I have two uh, very, very good friends, colleagues, uh, and uh, very, very strong perspectives, uh, which got everyone to the table. So I want to introduce Susie Silver and uh, Royce Hoffner, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So Royce, before we get started, and then Susie, I'll pass it to you. Just give a little background, uh, who you are, what you do, why you're here, all that good stuff. And, uh, and then we'll do the same for Susie, and then we'll jump into a couple topics that are going to be fun. Background is always fun. So I hear the diversity movement. I am the uh, marketing and communications specialist. Uh, my background is primarily in all things marketing with folks in uh, video and photo. I'm a queer kid born and raised in rural Colorado. Uh, recently moved to Raleigh. I absolutely love it here. Still discovering things. I still feel like the new guy on the block. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Good. Susie? Yes. Hi, I'm Susie. I am a senior consultant and innovation strategist on the team here at the Diversity Movement. I joined in uh, February of 21. And prior to joining, I was consulting on my own, as many of us were. And <laughs> John asked a question, wouldn't you love to do this with a team? And my answer was a big yes with lots of exclamation points. Mm -hmm. But uh, With Pride Consulting was founded in 2015. I also have a background in public education. I'm an artist and definitely a serial entrepreneur. So happy to be here, and I do love our team. Yeah, so I am um, thankful for, for the time that you all have carved out today. And one of the things that I want to ask just to kind of warm us up and, and get moving, what does Pride Month mean to you, right? Because a lot of times when you have a month and you have a different celebrations, sometimes things can lose sight of its core over time. But what does Pride Month mean to you? And I'll start with you, Royce. I think for me that obviously celebration is a huge part of it, but I think that as I have grown up, um, and when I say grown up, I just really mean into like adulthood. I didn't come out until I was, I started coming out around 21, didn't fully come out to my parents until I was like 25, I believe and um, or parents and family. And I think for me, as I've learned our history, as I've learned just where it started, you know, it's, it, it's a giant party in a lot of ways now, but I think that, you know, historically it started out as, as a resistance movement, as pushing back against um, not being allowed to be ourselves. And unfortunately, currently, I think we're kind of re- entering some of that. I think people are having to confront the fact that pride is not just a time to get together and party. Obviously, that's a part of it. But I think that pride ultimately, first and foremost, is a protest and a desire to be treated to be treated equally. 
So. I love that. And uh, similar to you, I did not come out and actually I was outed uh, at the t- age of 27. But looking back as a kid in the 80s and 90s, didn't have a lot of representation, didn't have a lot of positive rep- representation, didn't understand the history as I, as you just mentioned, as I do now. So pride to me, first for the self, is survival and resilience. And that's how many people in our community feel as well. And then acknowledging the history and the protests and the fight and all of that for this month is really important. And then I agree with you. This Actually, this Pride Month feels different. Mm-hmm. It feels different and to everything you were saying, Royce. And so generally speaking, you know, to answer that, which I already did, and then this year, it's the duality of it. And not being afraid of that, but stepping up to that in an honest truth of there is celebration. Yeah. There's always remembering of the resistance, the resilience. There's also the joy, the power, the freedom, and we're going to continue fighting for that. No, yeah. I appreciate that very much. One of the things that you mentioned that I do want to unpack for a little bit is that this month feels different this year, right? And there's a lot of uh, discussion uh, about all things LGBTQ in the community, but there's also a lot of things relative to attack, right? Whether it's from a legal standpoint, whether it's banning books, whether it is backlash from marketing campaigns and different things. And so one of the things I'd like to hear from you all, and I have you know thoughts, but uh, I want to hear from you all as well, is let's look at, it, at the business lens first, and let's just talk about a little bit from the marketing standpoint. And there's things that are going on, whether it's at Target or the uh, Anheuser-Busch things. What are some of the things you're seeing and what's your take, right, on on some of the uh, not so great consequences for trying to do good things and the barometer shifting a little bit in, in a little bit more negative fashion, unfortunately? I'll jump in. Yeah. <laughs> I have lots of feelings about this. Yeah. You know, specifically with Anheuser-Busch, you know, okay, the the striving to do the right thing. Well, to me in the marketing sense, they didn't fully focus on who their audience is and their demographic and where they're at. So while I believe there's an end goal, a goal of showing more diversity, let's say just focus on the LGBTQ plus community, what's the strategic plan to get there? What's the why? How does that link to your demographic? What are your goals for potentially shifting your demographic? There's mm-hmm. opportunity there. That's right. And so to me, the the noise is the noise. And okay, well, in the business sense, let's talk about what actually probably didn't happen, what questions weren't asked, whose perspectives weren't at those tables making this decision. And so, of course, I'm going to support my community showing up more. You know, what about linking more to even the athletic world? Anheuser-Busch is very much linked to the athletic world. And think about demographics and and the Mm -hmm. community within that, and then expand there, right? That we know that there's almost a comfort. And of course we wanna push out of comfort. We don't wanna continue to feed into comfort, not at all. That is not the point of what I'm saying, but what was the plan? What were the questions, the perspectives? Now with Target, and I'll pass to you, Royce, with Target, that was a complete abandonment of said values of an organization. That's why it's horrific. So instead of stepping up and saying, we're going to continue to run the pride line, we're going to keep it up front in a store, which if for out there, the the pride line was moved to the back of the store and swept and things were recalled, Mm -hmm. items were recalled. And and because there were some very loud visual um, protests to having pride and lots of made up stories of things, honestly, I don't even know if it's worth our attention or time, quite frankly. Um, And and. They reacted, Target, meaning they, you know, Target reacted to, we're going to change all these things that we said are our values, supporting queer artists, mm-hmm. having the marketing, having the products, and what actually won the values? Then are your values performative? Can I actually trust you as a brand anymore outside of Pride Month? Am I going to spend my money there? And then I, what I thought about most are the queer employees. How did they feel? Did they feel safe coming to work? So think about some of these noisy people, hire a little bit more security. Double down and say, these are our values here, so why? And we're gonna support everybody in our store. So those are my two big (laughs) things that are on top of mind, but of course in the business sense, what do we talk about every day? What are our plans? What are our whys? How do we look at our values? 
And with a lot of the increasing diversity in reaching audiences and creating that trust, these were huge missteps. Huge. Yeah. Yep. Ditto to all that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, you know, going back to kind of where I started, I, I think that looking on, upon our history is really, is an important lens to look through. And I think that I agree with you in the sense that, you know, I learned, I learned from the older queers in my life um, that Target has, has been, was one of the earliest supporters when we look at from a corporate lens. And so when, you know, when I started having more, a more diverse group of friends, I had older queer friends. They were like, well, we shop at Target. Well, why? Oh, because they were supporting for a long time. Same could be said with, uh, like Subaru. There's these companies that have been there before it was cool. And mm -hmm. I think this is something that the queer community has really started talking about in re in recent years is, rainbow washing, which is like, you want to paint everything in rainbows for June. You want to, you know, you want to make the money, you want to do all that. But then minute June's over, like, yeah, we're still supporting the candidates that don't care about you, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I think I agree with you. I think Target is a much different conversation than the Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch, it was a disaster. I don't think I'm frankly surprised by it. I agree with you. What in the world were the conversations going on ahead of time? Um, you know, when it first kind of started to happen, it was wild to watch the the pendulum, if you will, of I had so many friends being like, oh, my God, we got to we got to buy, you know, Bud Light, like to support them and all this stuff. And it wasn't four days later. And everyone's like, oh, my God, never buy Bud Light. Like it was it was just this like <laughs> and and those <laughs> those trends, I think we have to be very cautious about and get like. It's just, we, we, I think consumers have to think about businesses very similarly to how we think about any other relationship in our life. Like, how long has this been going on? If you have someone who shows up in your life and they're just, you know, kind of fanning the flames, if you will, they come in, they're hot and heavy right from the get-go, right? How, what is that built on? What is the foundation there mm -hmm. for how much you can trust them? And I think that that's, especially as queer people, that's something that we have to always be cautious of, especially when we get into the month of June. If someone's running Pride Colors in like November, they're probably on our side, you know? <laughs> and uh, I think that I think that that's something to be aware of. But I, I agree. I think the Target thing is, is really tough because I think that it just, it hurts to see a rollback. And to the point you made earlier, I think that's what makes this Pride a little bit different is I think some of the, the, pillars, if you will, the things that have felt like really secure. I think there's a lot of questions around that. You know, I think everyone's kind of holding their breath over like the, the Supreme court and like, is marriage actually secure? Like, you know, and so things like target, I think play into that where it's like, are, do we have as much support as we thought we did? So yeah. I would add in that, you know, when you are part of a community and the goal is to move that community forward, I think pacing matters. Mm. And when I look at the Anheuser-Busch example and putting a trans icon on the bottle and not knowing your audience, that's just not helpful, right? Because people that need to support in a financial way, the LGBT community, don't also want to lose $27 billion in valuation. Like, that's math, right? People don't want to lose money by doing the right thing, yeah. right? And so what could have been different in terms of understanding the audience and creating that trust, creating yeah. that support, but doing so in a way that stair steps with what that audience, right, can continue to consume and be comfortable with. Comfort is not the end goal, but it is a part of change. Yeah, yeah. Right, because if you stretch something too far and it breaks, then what happens is it goes backwards. And what I've found is the naysayers around diversity, equity, inclusion will point to these items and say, that's why our company doesn't need to do that. Yeah. Exactly and so right. I was I'll, I shared with you earlier, Royce, and, and I was having a conversation with my dad. He's 70 years old, African-American from the deep, deep South. And so if you put any kind of stereotypes on kind of what his beliefs were, right, 10, right. 20 years ago, like you'd probably be right. You know what I mean? Um, and my daughter, who came out as gay, and she was 18, that was a an awakening for our family and not because of her coming out as gay, but we always wanted to make sure that everyone in our family felt loved and supported. And, and we just came to grips with, wait a minute, what were we doing in our environment that she didn't feel like she could be her full, complete self with us? And so we unpacked a lot of that as a family. But anyway, Sierra, in simple humble brag, she just um, raised close to $20,000 for her uh, first independent film. And so we texts, we uh, had her on speakerphone at the house over the weekend and several of our family members were there. And then we were just cheering for her. And we were just so excited. And she was telling us about the process and all that. 
So Sierra hangs up the phone and me and my dad are talking. And my dad goes, man, he says, I really support everyone. I want people to love who they want to love and be safe and all these things. He says, but why do they have to have so many letters? He said, I can't just, he said, I don't know what all the letters mean, right? And the thing about it is I, I hear that from my dad or I hear that from other folks. How do we make things simple for people that want to be an ally and be a part of this movement and mission, but they don't have to have every vocabulary word right or every meaning right, but they can just be for those that are different and need a helping hand? Yeah, this is something that I is I have an interesting opinion on the 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 alphabet, if you will, uh, because on the one hand, I see it as incredibly important. I think that when we get into minute detail, the complexity of the human experience, whether you want to talk about it from a lens of gender or sexuality or um, lived experience or race, like I think these things are incredibly important and they're beautiful and they add all of the the colors of the rainbow, if you will, to humanity. At the same time, they're a really easy way to make people feel um, pushed out of a group. And so I think that no matter what we're talking about, we always have to return to this place of what is the intent, mm -hmm. right? And I think with what you're talking about with, with, with your dad, you knew his intent. Right. His intent is he cares. His intent is, and so is that the moment? And maybe it is. I think sometimes when when the conversation is good, that, that is a moment to lean in and be like, well, let's talk about the letters. If that's something you feel educated, not you specifically, but, sure. or if you do. But if that's something you feel like you can help to educate so that people understand why those letters matter, that's great. But like, you know, I've also heard people put the letters together wrong, right? Like in the <laughs> wrong order. And I've seen people intensely overreact to that. And I don't want to, you know, people should be allowed to interact with it however they want. But I think that oftentimes we miss the goal by focusing too much on the things that are too inside the group, if you will, the group knowledge. We get, you know, when it's something that you're consuming and interacting with every day, it's really easy to understand why there are all the letters, why they each individually matter and why we should talk about them. But if you're not someone who interacts with that on a daily basis, it's a hard thing, in my opinion, to hold someone to that. And no matter how we're talking about it, I think it's the, the same could be said with, um, with, with any of it. Something I had to deal with really early on is that, you know, if we're going to really break it down, I identify as bisexual. I don't care what you call me, though. People yes. refer to me as gay. People refer to me as queer. Like, I tend to refer to myself as queer because I, I just don't think any of that matters unless we're going to really sit down and talk about why I'm whatever letter and why it matters, you know? But that's, and I think that's a part that for some people that letter is really important. But I think that we, yeah, when, when it comes to those bigger things, we have to be really aware of, can we bring people in to yeah. be that ally? Yes. Or are we going to kind of ostracize by yeah. making them feel illiterate? I'm going to make a statement and then Susie, I'm going to give you some space. Um, I think it's really important that we give a little bit more room for people that are learning and to understand yes. Because there's people that want to be for folks that are in underrepresented groups. They don't have the knowledge background, yeah. but you can push them back when there is this, um, I guess, intense correction, right? Because they're already a little bit nervous about things they don't know, and they're trying to be helpful. And I think the big thing is, back to your point of intent and tone, I'm really, I really listen to what is somebody trying to communicate to me, not just the words, but how, do, how does it feel when it, when it comes across? And if it feels genuine and thoughtful, like I'm not interested in whether you call me black or African-American or BIPOC. People are like, I don't really care. I just kind of want to know, are you for an equal playing field at work or not? Right. Like that's, right. that's kind of like <laughs> yes. what I'm, I'm kind of searching for. But Susie, I'll give you some space. I wholeheartedly agree with both of you. And that, that's exactly what I was going to say is that's the space. And sometimes the reaction or the lack of space creates a distraction mm -hmm. from the goal. And actually, Melanie on our team uh, and I had this conversation, walked around the building three times last week and had this conversation of what what is the goal? Yeah. What is distracting from those goals? And sometimes it is this lack of space and understanding. And to your point, if there's such a harsh reaction to a, a genuine human misstep, yep. then that person or group of people will just tip 
tiptoe back away and now we've lost the opportunity to connect and have additional allies, let's say maybe mm-hmm. people talking specifically outside of the community yeah. and what we would like, sometimes people say need, people have feelings about saying needing allies. Right. I personally will say, I need allies. I need I, allies. I want the allies. <laughs> and so people are so afraid to say or do the wrong thing. That's and right. that's something interfacing, of course, with our clients and partners and Susie, I want to show up. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. If I make a mistake, I'm just going to get attacked. How do we operate through? So I am being redundant, right, in a way that it is critical. And I do talk to people within the community of saying, okay, our hurt, it could be hurt, it could be pain, it could be trauma, it could be all kinds of different things, Mm -hmm. as to your point, the human experience that actually informs that harsh reaction. So it's the responsibility of all of us to say, well, why is that my reaction? And that's not to invalidate it. It's to understand how to operate through it with the goal in mind of how do we connect? How do we learn from each other? How do we listen to each other and move it forward? Something, something that I picked up from you and I, it's really, I've been chewing on it so much um, in the last couple of weeks is you said, you should never assume negative intent. And I think that that is something that, um, as I've been processing it, I don't want to derail, but one of the things I've really confronted in the last couple of years is that in general, white people tend to have a lack of community. And I think as a queer person, that is something I have recognized so viscerally as having community that when I go back to the areas I grew up in and stuff, I'm like, this isn't really the kind of, when we talk about community, there's there's a lot of stuff missing. And I, I don't want to go too far into that. But, but the reason I bring it up is I think that when you lack community and you lack connection to groups of people, it's very easy to assume negative intent. But if you are connected to the people around you, if you, if it's a communal space, we don't inherently assume negative intent. We're then more willing to say, I know that you love me. I know that you care about me, right? This is what we do with our families and the people we're close with. We assume they have our best interest in mind. So they may say something that elicits that response, But then we can lean in and say, where's that response coming from and have a conversation about it. But if we start with assuming the the intent is negative, it's very easy to jump then to, oh, well, you don't think I should have rights or you don't think I should have this or that when the intent may actually just be, I don't understand this or I'm confused or I need some clarification. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. May may I add something to that? And something you and I have discussed even this morning about within our own LGBTQ plus community, speaking of community. We absolutely, I will use the word need here again. (laughs) We really need to show up for each other more than we are. Yes. There's actually a lot of interesting dynamics of understanding, of having reactions, of maybe assuming the negative intent, of not having each other's backs. We Mm. should all have each other's backs. I'm and we talk I'm a cisgender female, you know, expressing, I'm feminine expressing, you know, in my in my visual walk down the street. You know, I understand and we both have talked about this. We acknowledge and absolutely understand the privilege in that, in general, right? In society and world in general. And if we're going into our own community, absolutely as well. And so you have to understand that and then uh, have conversations, ask questions, learn how to show up for each other and and throughout the whole community. The way that somebody shows up for me may be different than somebody else, different than Royce. And yeah, we're not gonna have all the answers, you know, as, as we talked about, but that's a real, connection issue. Uh, and and specifically at, at times and in the past, hopefully it's shifting with white cisgender individuals in yes. the LGBTQ plus community. Yes. And there's a lot of growth opportunity there. I'm not necessarily, um, mm-hmm. I'm being, you know, quite passionate in my, in my tone and my words, but I am passionate about it. Of all people, our yeah. people, let's show up for each other. Let's ask a question if we don't understand. That's right. And so it's just an important point to, I thought to bring up and yeah. Appreciated discussing that with you. No, I, I am really um, encouraged by this dialogue. I think so much of what I hear um, in politics these days in the media starts from a negative point of view and really starts to create that divisiveness. And one of the things that I've learned um, as a business leader is you don't move forward as fast alone and you don't move forward as fast with fights. 
because they're draining your energy from progress. So the more that people can get you kind of thinking about small corner issues of distraction and disagreement, then we're not slowing down and going, wait a minute, do we believe that you should have a workplace where everybody feels welcome? Do we believe we should be in a workplace where everyone can be productive? Do you think that feedback should be given in a way that can be understood and and motivated by? Do you think that someone's sexual orientation or gender should affect how they move up through the company? And there's so many points of agreement where you can get people nodding. I really choose to try to focus on those things first because you can then build a much more thoughtful conversation from points of agreement. And that's whether it is LGBTQ or whether it is gun control, whether it doesn't matter what the issue is. We have some sensitive issues. I was talking with uh, a business colleague today, and they were talking about how their one of their groups in the organization had a very healthy, thoughtful, considerate conversation on gun control in the U.S. Because what they wanted to do is, number one, they wanted to talk about the issue relative to how they as a company responded to it and different things going on. But number two is they actually wanted to rep and practice how to have tough conversations on real issues. And that is, I think, the central weakness uh, in our politics, in our education, in our business world, is that we don't talk to each other anymore. We talk at, yell at, point at, vilify. We're experts at that, (laughs) right? Like we're like, as a a country, we're experts at, at that. But anyway, I will step down from my soapbox and ask another. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. And underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. Another question. One of the things that's getting um, a lot of dialogue is trans women in sports. It's not so much trans men, right, competing in, in men's sports. It's trans women in sports that is the, is a, it is the uh, kind of the, the flashpoint issue these days. I'm interested in you all's thoughts, right? And we can practice talking about a tough <laughs> issue. <laughs> and Should we flip a coin? On no, and, and then I'll, I'll say this last piece as is a, is a, is a backdrop um, that I think is, is really interesting. At the diversity movement, we focus primarily, not exclusively, but primarily on the business link of how DEI can build a better workplace. But we can't be naive and expect that politics, the political discussions, the race discussions in our country don't bleed into and impact the way people operate in a business context. And this is something that is coming up uh, a lot across all the conversations I'm, I'm having. So I'll start with you this time, Susie. <laughs> okay. I, I flipped the mental coin, but what are your thoughts on sports and trans athletes and what's some of your perspective? I believe that trans women should be welcomed and able to compete in athletics. That's the main statement. Now, let me explain a little bit. Sure. Overall, there is not enough evidence in studies to discredit that statement. Now, there are some studies, you know, of hormone levels and people on testosterone. I mean, there's different or there's different hormone therapies, right? And the argument is that transgender women have a larger advantage in competition. And there has been a lot (laughs) created by voices that really isn't accurate, you know, um, swimmers, you know, outperforming. If you actually look at the statistics, it's, well, they did really well, but it's not outperforming because this person is transgender. Something just came up, I believe, in the London Marathon. There's all these headlines of how fast this person ran. Well, if you actually looked at all of the statistics, I mean, it was, and I don't have those numbers in front of me. uh, And happy to get them for background information or show notes. But it's not a logical argument. 
Mm-hmm. And it's created a what is so-called a logical argument because of, honestly, media, because of the politics, because of what you're saying, kind of that mm-hmm. polarization of opinion. And at the different levels, right, there's the elite, professional, you know, the college, the collegiate, um, you know, there are conversations there, you know, the uh, Olympic Committee. There are some studies, there are some recommendations, but they're still not completely uh, grounded. There needs to be more evidence. There needs to be more information. And if there happens to show a significant advantage, what would the procedures be? Decisions are being made in athletics without enough information, and they're very Mm. blanketed. So, you know, kids that, you know how I love my soccer slash football, (laughs) not American football, although I like that as well. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that kids can't go out and play baseball, soccer, basketball that children, right? And there's really no significant difference of physicality or advantage to, let's say, disadvantage for kids up to puberty. Now, puberty, yeah, our hormones level levels change. There's different conversations there. But what's happening as well is we're having a conversation about collegiate and Olympic athletes, you know, and, and professional athletes. The same conversations being had about an eight-year-old on the soccer field on Saturday. And so there needs to be more differentiation in the conversations more studies, more evidence, and more engagement with the community, inviting those voices to the table. Royce, no, thank you for that. Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> So there's two, there's, there's a couple things. Number one, I want to go back to what we said of intent. Mm-hmm. I think intent is so important. If we want to have a conversation about, about sports and how, to your point, Olympics and college level and all that kind of stuff, I think we can have a conversation from a scientific viewpoint and we can, we can do that. I don't see that happening right now. What I see mm-hmm. is a lot of hate being labeled as science. And so I agree with you in the sense that when we start talking about kids playing, you know, I, there's, I don't think if you haven't been a kid that was somehow, um, put down, whether it was because of your, you know, your gender, your sexuality, your skin color, whatever, you don't understand what it's like to experience that, first of all. And what's even worse is I don't know if any of us know what it's like to experience that on a national scale. You know, we're talking about states here where, uh, and I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but there, there's a state where literally they passed a law and there's one trans athlete in the life. Like that's, that's who it is. It's one person. One person. <laughs> and we have put how many thousands of dollars into state legislature and time and media and, and anyways, we have such bigger problems than, than, and, and, and I want to make it very clear. Trans people are not the problem. I, I'm not saying that like, this is a problem. I'm saying that we are, what we should be focused on is how do we make kids feel helped and, and, and supported and cared for. And, and this, this movement of it's about the children makes me want to put punch a hole in a wall. And I'm not a very violent person because (laughs) if we really wanted to talk about those things, we would not be pointing the finger at anyone in the LGBTQ community right now. We all know who we'd be pointing fingers at and it makes a lot of people really uncomfortable, but it's the truth. And I think that's the part that we've got to focus in on. This hasn't been about the children from the get go. It's still not about the children. It's about labeling hate as, as science. The, the fact that I really like to bring up in this topic specifically is the only reason that sports are gendered, if we go all the way back, historically, women started, you know, gaining more rights and gaining more access, and they wanted to play sports too. There were no women's teams. So women started playing on the men's teams. They started outperforming men. And the men were like, whoa, <laughs> we're not, we can't, What this can't happen. So what happened? We created women's sports, which we don't fund the same. We don't give as much media time to, We right? So like, this is just a continuation of sexism, racism. You know, mm. we could put it in all the other isms. It's just a continuation of discrimination. And hot take is the person who's not really that into sports. If we really want to have sports, I think we need to, if we want to come at it from this scientific angle, then I think that's what it should be treated on. Let's talk about weight classes. Let's talk about height classes. Is it fair that Michael Phelps competed? Like when we start having these conversations, it just boggles my mind as someone who isn't as sportsy as everyone else, because I'm like, well, what is fair? 
Like the guy's got like a longer like arm span than I am tall. And I'm like six two. Like I'm like, so is that fair to the same guy who's swimming against him? Like anyways, it's just, I just think it's an interesting conversation that we've started having rather than celebrating sports for what they are, which is just humans playing games. Yeah. I, I don't know. So yeah. I have a couple thoughts also. Yeah. <laughs> so this, I'm sure. will give us a chance to, uh, to debate with, uh, with empathy. Um, I do think when kids primarily are younger, um, and I'll use the sport baseball. I played a lot of sports coming up. But baseball was co-ed, in my experience, up until about 11 or 12, yeah. right? Because that's where the physical changes become very, very significant. Uh, and the pace of play is very significant. And one of the things about baseball, and I played football and different things, but I use baseball because there's baseball or softball. There's a better correlation, right, than, yeah. than some other sports. But you had tryouts. It was skill-based. Mm -hmm. You had your uh, lower-skill business. Maybe it's A, then you have double A, then you have triple A at all of the different ages. And so then based on those skills, you would then slot the teams. So it really didn't matter any of the things we're discussing relative to baseball. There was a very uh, kind of objective, mostly objective, valuation. How fast do you run from home plate to first base, to second base, to third, all the way home? right? You throw the ball. How fast do you throw the ball? How accurate are you, right? And so those kinds of things allow, I think, in the younger ages, which are good. Uh, my daughter, Suyera, who I've mentioned a couple of times, was very uh, big in martial arts for a number of years. I don't want her in competition with someone that has a physical advantage and could physically hurt her. I don't think that's fair. And since I don't know someone's hormone levels, since I don't have their science, since there's all kinds of health information, proprietary things. That makes it very difficult as a parent to then look at those more physical sports and different things and have an opinion, right? But I always will go for safety. It's not even about the, that competitive landscape or track or swimming or different things. Anything that has a physical component, I'm a little bit more weary. And that gets higher and higher in degree of kind of risk the the older and the more sophisticated, right, those sports become. And so that's kind of my perspective. I also think that we are also having conversations that are corner cases. We're having a lot of dialogue, and this is more than sports. And I'll, I'll move into the, the trans community in a minute in terms of the overall view. We're having a lot of conversations about a very small percentage of the population at whole that are being used as a proxy for the entire conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I don't think that's good, right? I think that it's, in fact, it's another way that people are moving us backwards by creating the most divisive, the newest conversation, right? And using that dialogue to now be an umbrella of why all things DEI are bad, why all things LGBTQ are bad. And I think it's a setup. And I don't think we should let, we shouldn't, we shouldn't play on those terms, right? And that's why when I'm listening to people that are talking to me about corner cases, I roll it back to, do you believe in gender pay equity? Well, yeah, of course. Do you believe buildings should have wheelchairs so that people that are, that need different accommodations to get in the building? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Do you think you should have transparency on how your company does promotions and different things? Mm -hmm. Do you think you'd have a, a more diverse company because they're successor? Yep. Okay, cool. Now that we've talked about these 18 things, let's talk about this one thing that you disagree with. But I really, really try not to get drawn into, right, the corner cases to start because that makes it a much more antagonistic conversation. And I've struggled over the years to make progress, right, when I'm uh, kind of fighting with someone. <laughs> About a, a specific thing. I, I think you hit on a really, uh, I, I agree 100%. And I think you're hitting on something that I regularly feel of, of that look over here, not over here, right? And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty positive I'm right. Black trans women are the most at-risk group in the United States, period. Why, why is that never talked about anywhere, Right. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I that doesn't make up a lion's share of the people we're talking about in sports. Right. Yep. And so why but you're talking about safety. R and, right. And, right. And, 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 and I will interrupt in that conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion. I think everyone would agree 
that people should be safe at work. Right. Safe in where they go to worship. Right. Safe at where they go shop for groceries for them and their family. And I just think it's smart to now focus on items to where I can get agreement faster. But I interrupted no, you. No, no. And that's okay because I, I, I think we're on the same yeah. page here. Until we, it's about safety. Until we address that fact, why are we talking about sports? To your point, it's this, it's this <laughs> yes. corner thing of like, I, okay, you know what? Let's, when we have, when everyone is safe, when everyone has been, is being fed, everyone's got a job, right? When we have solved those issues, then yeah, let's talk about how we're going to set up the scientific like analysis of how we're going to de- redefine the sports. That, like in for my the, opinion, for the one that's person how. in the one person Western. Person. Yeah, right. Like the state. <laughs> that's my that's my opinion. And it's important to that one person. Yeah. But from a business standpoint, we also do have to look at the numbers and how do we move a movement forward. And we've got to stay on tasks to where we don't get sidetracked with something that's so new, so divisive that we don't make as much progress as we can, right? And 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 go from there. Um, other thoughts? Because I, I want to give you back the, the mic if you had other other thoughts before we move up, move topics. I, I think it goes back to the point we even talked about about marketing. It's and to what you said, that it's distracting points. It's being manipulated as a conversation for distraction, for that common goal, for those, if That's it's right. business, if it's community, if it's, it, it is com- a complete play. Yep. And, that's all I wanted to add. <laughs> I, had to, I was talking with a business leader and gentlemen, uh, and one, I enjoy the work that I do, that we do. And this leader trusted me and said, Don, I'm really struggling with the LGBTQ conversation in our organization. I'm a very strong Christian. I don't believe that that is the way that I should raise my kids and, and X, Y, Z. And I said, okay, and I'm just listening. And I said, well, <clears throat> At what point did we describe that you needed to believe, understand everything versus creating a better workplace, being a better manager, being a better leader? He, and he paused. And I said, really, what I'd like you to consider is how having a better understanding of people that are different from you and how you can lead better at work. But I'm not trying to change you. I'm not saying there's no room in the world for what you believe. But what we need to do is create an environment where your beliefs, right, don't infringe the way that you treat people at work and that you right. can be a better leader for a broader number of folks. He said, I can do that. He said, but that's not how it felt. I said, I can do that. I said, listen, we can, over a glass of wine, we can talk about faith and different things. If you and I want to do that as friends and different things and, and have that discussion, right? And I'm a Christian, I have perspectives, and we can have that discussion. I said, but really in the context of diversity, equity, inclusion, and building a better workplace, we're talking about productivity. We're talking about you work in an institution that you have clients that you want to understand better, right? I said, you do realize that there's $1.4 trillion in buying power in the LGBTQ community. Do you want some of that money in your business? Right. Uh, yes, I would. <laughs> I said, so then maybe your marketing should be thoughtful and welcoming to a broader group of folks. And once we tied it to a construct that this leader could understand and didn't feel like, Someone is trying to force change upon him. We talked about the expanding of our thinking, right? And I think personally, and I've this is me personally, change in my thought process has come the more I'm open to understanding others. Anytime somebody forces me to change an idea, I'm as resistant as any other human. Yeah. I don't worry, I'm fine. The way I am, you know, you get real defensive. But when it's about learning something new, when it's about being better as a leader, those kind of things. And for me, I've been able to grow faster because my network has expanded. Susie and I work together, but Susie's a friend of mine. I want to know how her kids are doing. I want to know how her wife is doing. Right. Right. And so now when I see things in the news and issues, like I'm thinking about how they affect Susie, right, and her family, how how we work with Andy and how they feel and things that they're doing. Royce is now a friend of mine as well as a colleague at work. And I think so many folks don't have a broad enough network. Yes. That it's tough for them to have a real empathetic perspective because their friends are all the same, same country club, same school, same church. Like, and it's just that one thing. And so it makes change feel negative just because it's different. So anyway, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I, I could not agree more with that. I think that one of the hardest, this goes back to what I was saying about community. I think that 
as someone, my experience with understanding how wildly vast and different the world is, is, is one that always makes me laugh. Cause I grew up in very conservative, like rural Colorado, right? Very Christian, very red. Like that's just what I thought the world was. And then I moved to Northern Colorado, brightest blue dot in the Midwest. Right. <laughs> and then came out and then kind of, you know, took a, took some steps away from religion. It, it like I had been so damaged by religion that I was like, yeah, I can't be both queer and, and religious. And then I met a queer Christian and I was like, I'm sorry, what are you like? What is this? Like, what is this thing that's going on? How'd you get to yeah. do that? Yeah. It's like, What's it's like meeting about? a new animal in the wild. And like, and it was this moment of realizing that it does not matter how the human experience is so vast. Right. And I think the thing that so many of us can't wrap our minds around is that just because we haven't experienced something means that that's how everyone else feels or sees it. And that's so not true. And I, they, I just saw this thing recently that uh, Brene Brown was talking about this exact thing of that we're all, as, as society has grown, we've gotten really good at listening, but we have not gotten very good at believing and I, I really sat with that because what it means is that when a when a woman tells me about her experience, do I just listen or do I believe her that that is what her experience as a woman is? When a black person or individual tells me what their experience is being black in the United States, do I just listen or do I believe them that that's what the experience is? And I think that I've really had to confront some of that even in in queerness. And I think that's kind of what you and I both were <clears throat> almost tiptoeing around in the beginning is it's like, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by being like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't personally really need the whole alphabet. If someone else does though, that's their experience. And I believe for them that that's important. That also has to go the other way. They have to believe me when I say it's not as important to me. And we're both valid in that. And so that, mm -hmm. that community, I agree with you. I think that when we, you know, my, my own parents who I love dearly, the, it was a it was a big ride. Their journey has been huge, and our journey together has been huge because they went from being very conservative Christians to now being somewhere far less conservative, still Christians. And I think that that change, watching them change because of that direct connection, because it was like, we have a kid, we care about our kid more than Anything any else. of the rest of this stuff. That's so it. how are we going to line it up? And I think watching that happen. Oh, I'm incredibly lucky. Like I, yeah, thing. it's a very rare story for, for queer people. And I, and I'm ex extremely grateful to them, but watching them has really cemented exactly what, and you and I talked a little bit mm -hmm. about this this morning. I'm the type where it's like, I have told friends of mine, I've told family members, like if you meet someone and they don't know a queer person and they got a gajillion questions, I don't care how <laughs> uncomfortable the question is. I don't care what it's about. They can call me, they can text me, they can email me. Like I'm that person. There's a lot of people who aren't those people and I don't expect everyone to be that. I am that but person. We, I am that person. Yeah. 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 All of yeah. us around the table. Right. right. You need a black friend, one yeah. black friend. Yeah. 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 Take American Express, I, Apple Pay. <laughs> All good, man. One hundred black We'll do a buy one get one. You can get Don and Royce. Yeah. Black wearing game. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Oh my god. But no, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people fear what they don't know. I, I think we all do. Right. I think we all fear what we don't know. And if you if you can have that person to put a face to, I think it makes it a lot easier to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Building bridges and. The storytelling, the mm. network, the having the, the noise be silenced a bit. I talk about the noise a lot. Well, what does that mean? We all have noise that's different from each other. Standard noise, what we consume. You know, what's what's the media we consume? Is that social media, yes. written media, yes. uh, you know, visual media? Uh, what is the noise and how? It's some of those same questions. What's yep. the goal of learning from this or listening to this? Am I learning or listening? You know, what, what is that? So the noise, if we can get people to a place, one in the business sense, not to repeat yeah. what you said, I absolutely mm -hmm. agree as well. And then on the personal sense of, I don't believe in this. Well, I'm not, of course, you know, I have to be honest. Of course I want you to change your mind in the end, but I also don't approach the work that way. I don't mm -hmm. approach the work that way here. I don't approach it in my community. Absolutely not. It is to meet each other where we're at, to try to silence some of this noise 
where's a great place? Literally, we could talk. Is that over a coffee? Is that on a a Zoom call if that's more comfortable? Let's ask each other questions. Can we tell each other a story? And what can I listen and learn? And then I love that, believe. And, you know, for me, I held on to my own story for a very long time. And I started telling it for, for multiple reasons. But what I realized, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about building the bridge or the connection to just, I cannot tell you how many people said, I literally have not met anybody in the queer community. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'm thinking about something different. If whether that that wasn't agreeing or disagreeing, that was, I'm thinking about something differently, or I haven't thought about it that way, or I was unaware of, to me, I can go to bed every night understanding that that is a step to progress. And there's not distraction in it. There wasn't noise in that. Sometimes there's tears. Sometimes there's respectful discourse. Yeah. You know, and and that's okay. It doesn't make it easy it, for anybody <laughs> at times mm-hmm. involved, in, including many of us. You know, yeah. a lot of pain. I've said that before. A lot of trauma that I can speak for myself. That's There's healing and continuation in that journey. But that's where we can also build it together. Let's tell each other our stories. And, you know, it's about that iceberg. We always use that DEI iceberg. It's not unique to us, right? Sometimes I feel like so overused to a point, but to people that are really starting, Mm -hmm. really trying to understand, well, what does this mean to you? You know, iceberg meaning what's what's visible? What do you willingly share? What's invisible? What don't you share? I'm not asking everybody to share everything about themselves with everyone, but what could we step into that helps the goal helps the, co- this conversation keeps going back to the same themes, right? Yeah. And so that that's what I would add, but agree with both of you. Well, I'll wind this down. I could talk to you all, all day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, but, uh, <laughs> but, there, but there is, but there is work to be done, <laughs> but I will say I've enjoyed and appreciate your candor, um, the commitments you all share to the work that we're doing and we're making a difference. And in the, in the sea of noise where people are trying to create divisiveness, we're creating opportunities for change and renewal and unity. And we're doing that hard work because it isn't easy. This is not the easiest environment, right, to stand up a business talking about diversity, equity, inclusion uh, in today's workforce. But it's super rewarding uh, with the thousands of people that we touch and the, the way that we're helping organizations grow. And to be an empathetic leader in a high-octane world simply means you have to think about the future with an open mind. And things are going to consistently change. And if you're going to be ahead of that change, right, then you've got to be different on purpose. You've got to learn with intent. And you've got to expand your network. And I'm better because both of you are in my network. And so Likewise. thank you all Thank-you. both uh, for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you.